0: Probably the the biggest question that we've gotten is Are you settling in? And the answer is Yeah, we're settling. And so um, we are happy to be here. This is the first Sunday here on campus together, and I'm very thankful for that. If you've brought your Bible, uh, we're in the book of Daniel. And so I hope that you've brought it, I hope that you will open it, and I hope that you will use it. And so leave it open throughout the whole sermon because we're gonna be walking through these things and I feel like it would be helpful for you to be able to trace it in your Bible. I think that's always a good thing for us. Today we're looking at a prayer of confession that we find in this Old Testament book. The book of Daniel focuses on four young Israelites. They are... um, in the Babylonian captivity, so they are exiles and they are living here. And while it was for sure the sins of the people that led them into captivity, this is a story about how these four are endeavoring to be faithful to God in the midst of a very hostile and foreign land. I believe that this book has something very specific to say to the people of God. Anytime those people find themselves in a situation where they are the minority. And so if you find yourself today in any space where faithfulness to the one true living God is looked at as odd, this book is for you. And this message is for you. And I hope that you will draw encouragement from it. Now you may be thinking, hey listen, we're right here in the heart of Texas, right? Deep in the conservative south, we got churches all over the place, there's religious things and language everywhere. Do you really think that we, the people of God, are the minority right here, right now? Well, as juvenile as it may seem or sound, the reality is I know that there are people in here who at your work and at your school and maybe at your family reunion, that there are people who would ridicule you for the way that you're choosing to live your life. There are people who would make fun, even though that's a juvenile phrase, it would make fun of you for your position to to endeavor to be faithful to God, to not compromise, whether that be morally, ethically, physically, relationally, financially, whatever, and there are people that look at that and they say, why in the world would you do that? And so this is a message for people who could use some encouragement in that area. I mean, the truth is, we live in a society that is growing more hostile towards Christianity with every moment, and so the question is, what are we to do as Christ followers? We're living in the middle of a society that in some respects is very religious and tips its hat towards religion, but in a very real reality is so opposed to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so, I don't know about you, but there are times when we struggle, right? We struggle to live in this tension of loving the people in the world, but not loving the things of the world. And so, as a Christ follower, it's, it's, it's imperative. This is our challenge to always remain compassionate while never compromising the truth of Scripture. What does that leave us? Where does that leave us? What are we to do? How do we raise children in this climate, in this society that we're in? How do we earn a living today without selling our souls? I'm telling you, I believe this passage is very important. Now, one of the things that's very interesting as we approach this book, and we're just gonna do the the one lesson today and then we'll move around on a couple of things, but we'll come back to it. But this is the story of four men who have chosen to be faithful to God, and yet they are also a part of the culture around them. This is not a story of four young men who snuck out, moved to the desert, and built a monastery so that they could be alone. Like, these are guys who are very much right in the middle of the culture in which they live. They even had government jobs. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. And yet, even with all the challenges that that brought, They lived out their faith in full view of a watching world, and it did bring them challenges, no doubt. I mean, if you're familiar with the biblical witness, if you've ever gone to a vacation Bible school, you know a couple of stories for sure. The whole uh, fiery furnace, uh, lion's den, like, that's these guys. Like, they experienced incredible difficulty, and catch this, it was their reward for faithfulness, like those incredibly difficult situations, they earned those by being faithful. You see, the Bible does not romanticize faithfulness. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that if you love God, that you will get to live a carefree and easy life. It does not teach that. In fact, God calls us to be faithful within the trials of life, but sometimes the trials that you're going through are actually the result of your choice to try to be faithful. And I'm telling you this today because I don't want you to wake up years from now and be bitter because your life didn't turn out the way that, you, that someone thought or told you that it would, that signing up for Jesus is a, a signing up for a get out of jail free card. No, I want you, to, I, I see part of the role that I've been calling to right here is to equip you and to encourage you and to tell you the truth on this matter because here's the news or here's the reality. Whether you're prepared for it, whether you're not, no matter if you, you come in here and you're smiling on the outside, but no one knows, but on the inside, it's, it's really quite terrible. You can take that to God. You can take it to him, you can pour out your heart to him, you can be honest with him, because you can't chase him away. It's not gonna be too much for him. He's not gonna look at that and go, oh, <laughs> no thanks. No, he's, you, no matter how angry you are, or how bitter you become, A, none of that will shock the Lord, because he knows. But two, that's the very situation that he desires to walk you through and to carry you through right now. And so, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you've been through, whatever it is that you're about to go through, you can be honest with God about that. And church, that's called prayer. Being honest with God about what's going on in your life and trusting him. And so as we jump in today, we're looking at Daniel's prayer but it's it's my hope that this would become our prayer, okay? Daniel chapter nine is where we're at. We're gonna start by looking at verses one through three. We're gonna break this up, there's so much here. There's just a few things that we're gonna draw out of this, but if you're taking notes, and you wanna give yourself three big bullet points, that may be helpful as we fill this in together, okay? But this is what the word of the Lord says. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a mead by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So we'll pause right there. Like I said, it would be advantageous for you to keep your Bible open as we look at this together. We're not going to be able to cover everything, so much um, truth here, but the first thing I want us to see together is this. The prayer that we're looking at, this posture of prayer by Daniel, it was a prayer that was guided by Scripture. It was guided by Scripture. Remember, as we set out to understand Daniel, we're hoping, we're asking the Lord to press this upon our hearts so that this would be our prayer. And What we see here is that he immersed himself in scripture. The whole reason that this whole prayer happens is a result of Daniel studying the word of God. And the same must be true for us. If we are going to be the kind of people that God has called us to be, church, the first thing that we have to do is confess, Lord, we have not yet taken your word seriously enough. We have neglected it. We have not revered it as we should. Now, here's the deal, there's there's been moments in my life when the word of God has been front and center, and there's, I'm sure, times in your life, maybe even right here, right now, when the word of God truly is center stage for who, the way that you're living your life. But the answer, collectively, as we think about the role that we play together, the answer is no. We have not taken God's word seriously as we should. We have failed to see the scriptures for what they truly are. The inspired word of God meant to reveal to us the Father, the way of salvation, and how you and I can stand before him right now forgiven. Because this is, um, when we think about the scripture, we must see it as our source of life. The truth is we have filled our bellies with so many other things that we have been guilty of taking our eyes off of that which is most important. Jesus as revealed in Scripture. Now Daniel, in this passage, stay with me. He's studying the Scriptures, and he knows as a result of his study that God has promised not to abandon his people. In fact, he knows this because of what Jeremiah 29 says. Now God is judging uh, Israel as he promised he would. You can go back and look at Deuteronomy 28. But as he's reading the prophet Jeremiah, he comes across this verse. This is what the Lord says, says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now Daniel was exiled with the others in the year 605 B.C. And scholars believe that right here, this is probably around the year 538. And so Daniel, after reading Jeremiah, realizes that the end for this judgment is coming. And because he knows That God is a covenant God. He's a faithful God and he keeps his promises. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Daniel trusted and relied upon, um, he counted God as faithful and it brought him hope. Because Daniel trusted the scriptures, it filled his life with hope. He's been exiled. He's lived captive in a godless land and he's moving rapidly towards the end of his life. And yet, he was filled with hope. Why? It's because that his hope came from the promises of God that are found in his word. And so here's a question for us. This is a, um, you'll hear me say this a lot, a low guilt but high commitment question, okay? What I'm trying to say is, I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not here to throw stones. But I am here, and we are here together, to help encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, and to raise our commitment. So here it is. Do I struggle to pray as I should? Because I do not know scripture as I should. That's a question for you to think about and chew on and and share with somebody later in the day. Because Daniel, his whole hope is based off of what he has discovered to be true in God's word. And as we think about our lives, men, is our prayer life weak and shallow because we have not prioritized the word of God? You see, when we begin to immerse ourselves in the word of God, it shows up in the way that we pray. God begins to inform our prayers and shape our prayers. And I've said for a long time, if you wanna know what a person truly believes about God, listen to the way that they pray because their theology will be revealed right there. And so far too often, this is where Together, we're trying to raise our commitment. But far too often, we are guilty of thinking of prayer as the thing that starts our Bible study instead of our Bible study driving us to prayer. And guys, we must be praying. We must be coming to the Lord and letting him shape us through the word of God. Now, before we leave this verse, um, I think it's important to remember that Daniel, in all likelihood, had read this many times. He had the scrolls. He had Jeremiah in his possession. And yet, um, even though he has in all likelihood read this a number of times, in this moment, he reads it. And by the Spirit of God, it grabs him. Church, have you ever had that experience where you're reading the word of the Lord? You've read it a dozen times, maybe hundreds of times. But for whatever reason, the Spirit of God just uses it to grab you. Guys, that's because the word of God is living and active. And when we spend time in the word, it has the potential to, to bring life into our spiritual walk like nothing else can. And in this way, because the word of the Lord is living and active, when we immerse ourselves in it, what we're doing is we are immersing ourselves in the presence of God. And so let's look at the next section. I want us to see exactly what it is that Daniel prays and what it is that he confesses. This right here truly is a beautiful prayer. This will be a longer section, so have your Bible open. Stay with me. This is the word of the Lord, Started in verse four. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses... And sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem, Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sin and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. I mean, there's a lot here. This is huge. And listen, as a a Christ follower, as a student of the word, I would encourage you sometime this week, maybe even today, to go back through this passage and read it again and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But there's a couple of things I think we need to talk about together. And the first is this, that Daniel's prayer included a full and humble confession. Like through and through. Complete confession. Totally humble. Humble. Now look at the text. It says it multiple places, but at least in verse 11. Use the book. It's okay. Who has all this sin been committed against? What's the Bible say? What does Daniel write? He says it's against you, God. That all of our sin is against you. That's his confession, that we have sinned against you. And this is the truth that makes all of sin so egregious that we have to remember is that sin is an offense to God. Every time, first and foremost. This is why so many people rationalize away their sin and they think that they can do so so easily is because they fail to see that when I engage in sin, the offended party is a holy God. Because what we say is, well this didn't affect anybody but me, it's just my choices, Uh, it's not gonna hurt anyone. No, no, God is the offended party. Excuse me, now th- that, that runs against our natural way of thinking and is the reason why so many fail to see the desperate situation that they are in because of their sin. It's because we fail to realize that God is the one whom we have offended. Now secondly, Daniel asks, or he says what? That who is it that has sinned? You can use the book. Everything here is open book test. Who has sinned according to Daniel? Everybody. Like all of them, himself included. Which is odd because Daniel's a picture of faithfulness, right? Like this is a story, like rarely in the Bible do we see a, a, a truly positive figure. Most of them are, have some element of negative examples for us because God works through flawed people. But Daniel is actually incredibly faithful. He's lived the majority of his life in exile and yet even in exile he has been marked by loyalty and fidelity to the one true God and his life has sure been difficult as a result of it. I'm just saying, how easy would it have been for Daniel to have gotten a little frustrated and grow bitter? Like truly. We don't like to be convenienced even for a few minutes. I sat through the red light three times. Guys, it was the worst. (laughs) 70 years. And he is still faithful we just need to start off on the right foot, so we'll just be honest with one another. I'll be honest with you, okay? If I'd been in this situation, if I'd been Daniel, I probably would have got down on my knees and said, Lord, they have sinned against you. It's them, they're the worst. But he says, Lord, we have sinned. He includes himself. He says, we have sinned. Church, this is the moment that I feel like God has brought us to together where we get to decide, will we, like Daniel, freely and quickly enter into a posture of full and humble confession and say, God, we have sinned? Or will we continue just to, to pop, prop ourselves up? I mean, it's easy to do, it runs natural, right? How easy is it to say, well, it's just the Democrats' fault or it's just the Republicans' fault, right? No, guys, it's, it's all of ours' fault. As, a, as an entire nation, we have fallen short. And as the people of God, instead of participating in the blame game, we have got to be the people who will first and foremost lament over our sin and bring it to the Lord with a full and humble confession. If we're gonna live faithfully, In community with one another, if we're going to be the leaders that God has called us to be, then we've got to stop looking for somebody to blame. In the world of leadership, one of the principles is that it may not be your fault, but it is your problem. We must be concerned with this. We must not sit idly on the sideline. And here's the deal. Many of you right here who have gathered together today, you are faithfully seeking after God. Praise God for it. You are on fire and you are worshiping and you are doing everything you can to advance the mission, praise the Lord. But what you must fight against, if that is you, is an attitude that can so easily creep in that begins to make you think, we are the morally superior people. See, the danger is, you can that easily, because of this mental game that that, that we're all engaged in, if you don't fight this mindset, you'll you'll go from a faithful follower to a Pharisee, just like that. If I was gonna tweet this today, here's how I would say it, ready? Even if you are a part of the faithful few, it's still not about you, okay? All right, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's not true, guys. (laughs) We must be ready and humble to confess our great need for the Lord. Uh, Billy Graham once said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. Full, honest confession. Now, as, you, as we think about this passage, it's worth noting that so far, we've read quite a bit of scripture, right? But we haven't actually come across any words of petition yet. Daniel hasn't actually asked for anything. That's gonna come later. But thus far, up to in this point in the prayer, Daniel simply remains on his face, and he confesses sin. And he's saying, this is why we're in the disaster that we're in. And the real tragedy, it's in the passage that we just read, The, the greatest tragedy here is that Daniel knows that even after all of this punishment, all of this judgment, all of this exile, all of it, that his fellow countrymen still haven't turned back to God. They have received all of this hardship, and yet they have adopted the secular patterns of Babylon and the Persian culture around them, and they don't yearn for the glory of God above all things. May that not be true of us today, church. May we be a people who are willing and able and quick to confess our great need. Consider the words of the psalmist. Psalm 32, five says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 51 says it like this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Guys, in the New Testament, we could just jump over there for a moment and talk briefly about Matthew 6. That records a a section of scripture that's known as the model prayer, or the disciples' prayer. Spoiler, we're gonna talk about that next week, so I hope you'll come back. Um, truly, like, please join us again. In fact, bring somebody with you. We're gonna look at that. It's Jesus laying out for his disciples, this is how you should pray. But church, today, before we get there, our prayer must be Daniel's prayer first, a prayer of confession, because there will be no revival There will be no restoration. There will be no great movement of God until the people of God are ready to agree with God about sin. From here on out, here's what I want you to think about. A little word association, you ready? When you hear the word confess, I want you to think of the word agree. Just forever and always solidify these because I feel like this is the biblical definition. What happens is we grow up thinking that confession is about acknowledgement. all right, I did it. When in reality, confession is a step further. I did it and it was wrong. Confession is about agreeing with God about sin. You see, that's the, been the temptation from the very beginning, Adam and Eve. I know what is right and wrong. And instead, we are called to confess and to agree with God about his way is better than our way. We have not just merely broken rules, we've actually broken our relationship with the one in whose image we've been made. This is why confession is so important, because confession would have us to stop rationalizing or defending ourselves and simply agree that God is God and we are not. True confession is not about acknowledgement, it's about agreement. So let's press on, last section, verses 15 through 19, Daniel chapter nine. This is what the word of the Lord says. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and the petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. Again, a ton here in the scripture. The one thing that I want us to talk about together, though, is this that Daniel's prayer was grounded in God's character. It was God focused, it was God obsessed, it had everything to do with the Lord. Now, in verse 16, we read about the Lord's righteous acts. In verse 18, Daniel just specifically says that this request is not based on the people's righteousness, why? Because we don't have any. We cannot accomplish that on our own. You see, the word righteousness is very important here. In the Hebrew, the word righteous is a word that means measuring rod, ruler, or standard. What this means for us is that God is the standard of judgment. One of the things that we have to remember that fallen humanity only has one hope for gaining righteousness and it's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. What that means is Jesus is the only one who's ever been perfect and if you want to be perfect, you better stick with him. His righteousness can be credited to your account. That's the good news of the gospel. Now Daniel says, God, because of your righteousness, what we're experiencing here, this was just. And now, Lord, because you are righteous, We are crying out for restoration. Come Lord, save us. Now if you look at verse 17, I love the way that the New American Standard translates this. For this verse it says, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. This is a request for God to show favor, for God to act in kindness, for him to be benevolent And then if you look at verse eight, we see the basis for this request. Why would Daniel make such an audacious request of the Lord? He says that God is because of your great mercy. As all of this petition is being brought forth, they are made with God's character in mind. It's the whole reason it's even happening. Church, we, we cannot be guilty of over-elevating any one particular attribute of God over against another. We get in trouble when we do that. We treat God like he's a buffet. You know, I'm just gonna fill the plate with the things I want and ignore all those veggies, right? No, we have to acknowledge that God is who he is, and we can't just pick and choose. That is to say that he is a God of justice. Amen? Amen. He is a God of holiness. Amen? Amen? He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of wrath. Amen. Amen. He's a God of power. But please don't forget, he's also a God of mercy. Amen. For whatever reason, it it just feels like as we attempt to rightly understand God, compassion and mercy is one of those things that we we lose sight of the quickest. Um, A while back, one of my daughters found herself in a situation and uh, it was a situation where she was lying about something okay and I try to be very careful as a pastor you know to protect them and to not share too much but you also need to know that if you're in my life you're probably going to make it into a sermon so let that be a public service announcement for everybody here and so she brought it to us, and she, she confessed. She said, hey, I gotta tell you what's going on. It had been going on for a little bit, and she did that because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of her wouldn't leave her alone. She was convicted, so she, she acted rightly, but in our conversation, I was able to ask her, why is it that you waited so long to tell us the truth here? Why didn't you just bring it to us? She said, well, I was afraid to get in trouble, and so we talked to her, and uh, you know, it just kind of opened the door for a lot of conversation, and, and, and one of the things that parents are called to do is to write these little messages on our children's heart and to do our very best to shape them so that they can come to know the Lord, right? And so I'm trying to write this message on her heart through this experience by telling her, this is not the first mistake you've ever made, nor will it be the last, but we make mistakes too, but here's what I need you to know. Your, your mother and I, we love you more than anybody on this whole planet. And so you're going to make mistakes and there will be consequences. Like we're not shielding her from that. But and this is it. So I just I'm praying that she hears this even today. I told her there's nothing there's no mistake that you could ever bring to me that would be bigger than my love for you. Amen. And guys, I just feel like that's the message here that the Lord wants you to hear as your heavenly father. Why would you ever resist bringing to him and confessing when he is a God of great mercy? He is compassionate and kind. Are there consequences for the choices we make? Well, yeah. (laughs) But listen, a full and humble confession based on his character, listen, it's the thing that is going to heal your heart. It's the thing that you need more than anything else. And so let me ask you this. If that's the case, then what is it that keeps us from running to him and just laying bare our heart and letting him see everything if that's the very thing that you need more than anything? And the hard truth is it's because we love our pride more than anything else. And and again, this this is what the Scripture teaches us is that you can come to God and bring him your whole baggage, but that first step is a step of confession. But listen, when you see him for who he is, a God of compassion, full of love and mercy, who has made a way through Jesus Christ, then what you need to know is this, that that step of confession is actually the first step towards restoration. Uh, Pastor and author, Paul David Tripp, he says that pride and confession our enemies, we can't hold on to both. So church, we must confess, we must agree with God. We must be humble, we must get real and be honest because that's the only hope that we have. It's the only hope for this area, for this whole land as we think about the, the society that we live in. It's the only hope that we have for our children. Church, this is not just like in big, like, this is the only hope for my children is that we would be honest before the Lord and confess fully where we have fallen short of his standard. We must do this if we are to see our city and this nation and, and the nations reach for Christ. And so I'm asking that you would join me in prayer and that we would, as a church, begin to cry out for those around us. If you were here today and you need to take action on this, well, I, I'm just praying that you know that whatever it is that God is calling you to do next, as your next step of faith, you don't have to do that alone. The church exists so that together we might follow hard after the Lord, and so if you're here today and you have never responded in faith to the invitation of Jesus to trust him and to become a Christ follower, you need to know this. Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a terrible sacrificial death, and then rose again in victory, forever and always, solidifying at least two things. One, that he is who he says he is, and two, that he can do what he says he can do. Who is he? He's a son of God. What can he do? He can transform your whole life and forgive you. And so we're gonna pray and respond. The team is gonna come and lead us. We're gonna end in this manner because because before we race out of here, we need to go before the Lord. And so I'll be here in the front. We've got deacons in the room that'll be here in the front. We wanna pray for you. Don't forget about our hospitality room around the corner if we need to have a, a conversation with you. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, we wanna help you take that step of faith because here in a moment, Dalton's gonna dismiss us, he's gonna pray, and he's gonna say amen. But that's not the end of the service. That's the beginning of our mission. So church, let's go to him now, and let's ask God to move. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and providing for us through Jesus. Lord, we are here confessing that without you, Lord, we are nothing. But Father, we thank you for what we have in Christ. And so Father, help us to be a people who are transformed to look more like your son. And Father, I pray that you do it in a way that unifies us as a church. And Father, in a way that uses us to grow your kingdom. And so Father, deal with us now. Help us to be bold to respond and the courage to follow you wherever you lead. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.